Hello friends, this is Sage Bernardo and I am the owner of Bernardo Effects and I'm the host of this podcast show, It's All About the Tone and this is episode 5. This cool song called Justice from our great friend Daniel Donato. And Daniel is with us today. Hey, Danny, how you doing? Hello, sir. What oh. is going on? Oh, man. Looks like the world is crashing. <laughs> Isn't it? With all that COVID craziness. Yeah. But yeah, everything is good. You know, I haven't seen you forever. I think last time I saw you was uh, probably two, three years ago. You were doing, um, you invited me to um, a little show you were doing club in Nashville. I think it was a release party of one of your albums. And oh, and Ooh, was, okay. Yeah, that was the last time I saw you. So, and then ever since, like, woo, the world yeah. gone crazy. Yeah, so, there's definitely been a a, a, a a glitch in the matrix this year. It, uh, yeah, I know, but you know, I think I think it will be okay. It's it's you know, it looks like if you look at history, there's always like something big happening in I don't know a decade or a century or whatever, and like the whole world like shuts down for a little bit and almost like reset itself, and then oh, yeah. and then we start again, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I am a complete imbecile when it comes to history, but I've been I've been come aware of several cases in history when there's like um there's a couple of telltale signs at the uh, the break of um like of a great civilization and there's right, several right. things that happen yeah um culturally yep. and it's, it happens to the Greeks happens to the Roman happened during the the French Revolution uh it is wild to see the, the similar. Uh, tales be written in our modern day right. time that right. we're existing in. Right. Um, seems like a movie almost. You know, almost seems like it is very strange. Yeah, I know. It, it seems like it seems like uh, those crazy uh, outbreak movies or shows have been watching on 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 TV or theater for years, and it's like, well, that thing is happening. You know, it's happening yeah. now. But um, well, let me. Uh, let me ask you something. Um, we kind of like we'll go a little bit back uh, for at least for the people maybe do, who don't know who Daniel Donato is. You know, I'm sure there are most people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know, man. You're you. You know, you you got yourself a quite a quite a name in the industry. But but so you know, just for those who don't know who Daniel is and want to know, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, where you came from, where you grew up? that stuff yeah so i um i'm from spring hill tennessee which is about an hour south of nashville tennessee it was a 
once upon a time a very, very small country town. And then uh, Saturn, when that was still a present car brand, uh, they built a factory there. And so that created a lot of jobs and it it attracted a lot of uh, corporate industry into that town. And right around when that happened, that's when my family moved there. Um, And so we got into Spring Hill when it was still kind of a small town, but it was growing. And it was about, I was about eight years old when I moved there. I was 12 years old when I started guitar because all of my friends uh, were skateboarders and I tried skateboarding with them and I was just the worst skateboarder. (laughs) (laughs) So we would all play Guitar Hero uh, before we would go skateboarding after school. Oh, I would try to skateboard. And I was kind of good at Guitar Hero. Now. Okay. And there's there's no parallel between being good at Guitar Hero and Guitar, but I love the, the tones of the guitar. And I I, um, I started understanding like how a guitar affects a mix and, and the importance of a riff, and these were things I was blind to. As right, right. Um, and I kind of had the audacity to ask my dad if he would print me off some chords and, and show me how to pick on a couple chords. Right. My dad never played professionally, never stepped on stage one. Right. Um, right. But always strummed, always picked a little. And uh, I heard the song Paradise City by Guns N' Roses one day. Okay. And that just changed my world. There was right. something about that piece that really just vibrated in my soul. Right, right, right. And um, I, I really started loving guitar. I started practicing every day. Okay. And then it was about 14 years old, two years after the fact. Um, my dad took me down to Lower Broadway, Nashville, Tennessee, about an hour north of Spring Hill. And he had the idea that we should try to be a little entrepreneurial with our skills and make some money off of it and let's go busk on the street. Right. You know, son, I'll stand by you and make sure nobody takes your guitar from your 14-year-old hands. I'll right, make sure right. nobody takes the money out of your guitar case. And I had a, you know, a Taylor 114 CE, no mm-hmm. amp, so nobody could hear me. <laughs> and so that the first day we did this, I made zero dollars, zero cents. I had no money. And I was really disappointed. So we're walking back to the parking garage after busking for like six hours. And there was a band playing at a place called Legends Corner. And um, they saw me walking by. And they were audacious enough to invite me on stage. Wow. Now, what year was it? This was 2009. Okay. Okay. So is that because I remember we met the first time when you just moved to Nashville. So that was around that time, 2009. When you just moved to Nashville? No, no. When I first met you, first, first, first time we met, I remember I came to, uh, I think you were roommate with someone and you, you were still, uh, so was that 09 when you moved to Nashville? No, I moved to Nashville. Let's see. So that I moved to Nashville, so 2009, I was 14, so that's eight, so subtract six, from 2003, I moved to Nashville. Okay, so I probably met you, so now, did you leave Nashville and came back, or you were always kind of like in Nashville ever since? Fortunately, I've always been here. Gotcha, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's worked out geographically pretty well. I gotcha. Well, you know, it's a, you mentioned um, uh, Guitar Hero, <laughs> got a funny story for you. Um, years ago, I was teaching guitar, and I over at a mall and uh you know there's a lot of parents brought their kids so i got a mom came one day and and she said um my kid is a professional he's like 10 years old right he's a professional and and i and i really need him to get to the next level but he he is he's pro 
And I was like, oh, great, 10 years old pros. I was like, wow, that's great. I mean, yeah. who who was his teacher? What kind of methods he was uh, learning? He said, oh, he's, he's, he's a guitar hero um, um, uh, expert. And I'm, I'm looking at her. So that's a professional for you? She said, yeah, yeah, he's a pro. I mean, he knows. I said, okay. Oh, gosh. You know, very fortunately, my parents have always been unbelievably supportive. And um, they always made a point to really be extravagant when I accomplished something. Really, like, drill it into my psyche that I was doing a good job. Right. But never were they delusional. Wow. Like, there was was never anything where it was... um, where there was this kind of a over gratification and, okay. and trying to like not hurt my feelings. And, you know, well, that's there was always the, the concept of having to practice and having to work hard. That that's just instilled in, in the culture of the Donato family. Well, um, isn't that kind of so. cool when you have um, uh, support, especially from your from your family? That that like they're like, we're gonna go with it. You know, I mean, this is his passion. It's, this is what I'm, he loves. You know, man. You know, so I'm 25 years old right now. I'm about six months through it, and it's seriously weird. Um, but the thing that I noticed at 25 too, something that's large, it, I see in a social aspect of the parents or the kids or the young adults that have had good relationships with their parents right. and the ones that haven't. Right. And it's, it's, it's crazy to see how that manifests in all aspects of your demeanor and the way that you interact with peers and, and partners and colleagues right. within your community. Right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I had the same thing. I mean, my, my, my father was a sea captain, so he, I said most of my life, um, I always tell my friend, I, I've, I've knew my father only 50% of the time because he was out there, but my mom, uh, the one who raised us pretty much the whole time, she was so supportive because I started playing guitar when I was 10 or 11. And and I remember the first guitar I got was a classical guitar. You know, it's like, it's like yeah. that's how you uh, start. But but I mean, she was so supportive ever from the beginning, and and it's it's cool when you have that feedback from your family. You know, kind of like pushing you. <clears throat> so who uh so who were your influences as you know, as as a kid, and then as you kind of like grew in your playing uh, career. Yeah, so, like, my trajectory at 12 was, like, very much like most children. Like, that were learning off, like, from that YouTube Guitar Hero generation is what I gotcha. tend to classify it as, right? Okay. So, we were getting a lot of the exploitation of, of classic rock and uh, Inve Malmsteen. And right, yep. Just phenomenal guitar players. You know, very much so, like, heavy distortion, Marshall-based huh. uh, tone. Right. But the thing that happened to me which was in, in a, in a, in a more niche percentile in contrast to other players was I've lived in Nashville. So, and I somehow had an undiscovered lifelong love for country music. Yeah. So when I was 14, I instantly started being able to meet players right. who played from Earl Haggard. Yep. Players oh, who yeah. played with Buck Owens. Right. Players who were, I met Brett Mason when I was 14. Yep. Like, so, you know, we're talking about just the best of the best of yes, country music of that a lot of people don't know these players, but these players are on millions of albums yes, sold, you know? know? And so I really have a lot of influences that people might not really know. Yeah. Um, some of which, unfortunately, have passed away this year. 
Yeah. And um, it, it's a wild thing. You know, I'm looking back on it, like, just in the past week, three heroes of mine passed away. And there's videos of me when I'm 14 years old sitting in with them on a Saturday afternoon. Right, right. At Robert's Western World, you know. And yeah. it's these people walking by that they have no idea on how many songs that these players have played on, how many hits. I know, I know. Just look at the uh, Brent Mason and Paul Franklin uh, uh, list of credits. I mean, it goes on and on. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes I talk to people uh, that don't know much about country music, and I mention these names, and it's like... Oh, I never heard them. They're probably because they're just country. I said, no, they're not just country. They're doing everything, man. They're like, they're like gods in their in their own domain. You know, I mean, they're just <laughs> these two, Brent and, and Paul are just not only that they're great in uh, um, the technicality of their playing, but just their uh, their knowledge and the impact that that they they put on every single song. Uh, it's almost like, uh, you know, I don't know about, you know, you, you, you're, you're young, but I remember, you know, I'm going back like 30 years ago or even 40 years ago. There are certain mm. players that if you heard them on the radio, right from the first note, you knew it was them because it was something about the way they play and the way yeah. their sound is. Yeah, it's so uh, signatory to these guys and yeah. Brandon Paul. It's like, oh, man. You know, it's them when you hear it, you know. Oh, yeah. And Eddie Bears, Michael Rose, you know, John Hall. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Players, you it, know. You know, that's how I discovered you, I think, was through a certain Lindsay show when the players, um, the the which was a band that everyone doesn't know, was an amalgamation of pretty much the top session players that Nashville's right. ever known. Brett right. Mason, Paul Franklin. Eddie Bayer's Michael Rhodes, who now plays with Joe Bonamassa, John Hawk, and uh, he played at Third Lindsley. And at the time, it was a really shitty uh, bar. They had it. I remember. I know. I remember that. And I remember they walked in, and <laughs> Brent and Paul had this. Um, collectively, they had these like the, the Bonato. The Bonato oh, the pedal Bonato. board. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> and man, it, I, I was just over at Brent's house the other day doing an episode of my podcast, and he had he had a whole new one. And it's it's crazy to see how your products have kind of uh, found their way into so many players here. Now, right. Into what they, yeah. You know, it's and and what you saw was the first, first, first version, and of course, ever since, oh, yeah. uh, it's been it's been um, modified and and uh, grew from there. But I remember, uh, you know, I've known Paul. Uh, Gosh, maybe 17 or 18 years now. So we we were friends before I even started Benado Effects, right? So I remember uh, Brent got it first. And I'm getting a phone call from Paul one day. And he's like, Sage, what is that little white thingamajiggy that you gave uh, Brent? I said, what? You know, it's kind of like a new pedal board. Why? He said, what? You know, I tried it and I love it and it's it sounds great and and I never intended to be for a pedal steel. I mean, it was more a guitar thing, and uh, and that's how it started. You know, I mean, it's it's he he saw it on brand and he liked it so much, and I was like, okay, so I guess it works for pedal steel too. But um, so so you know, so that's how it started. I think I met you, um, if I remember correct at one of summer names in Nashville when I was uh -huh. walking down the aisle with uh, Seymour Duncan. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, Seymour. My God. Yeah, because you know. Era. Yeah, because you know Seymour. Seymour and I have been working together for like twenty-two years. But anyway, but I think that's when we met you, and I and I remember from the first moment that we saw you until today. I can tell you this, Danny. I've never seen, uh, especially today, somebody that has so much joy oh, yeah. and happiness mm. in just one body. Yeah. <laughs> it's like every time I see you, you're smiling. You're full of energy. It, it's like it's like. Is there anything that hit this guy? Oh, so much. Oh, my Lord. I get so in my own head. I recently just took a personality test, and I am like, you really kind of want to be like down the middle for a personality test, and I'm just, I'm right. polarized left and right. A very extreme personality. Um, that's very oh, yeah. It's very kind of you to say. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, this is the one thing that, I, especially you know, in our business, you 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 know, there's the, the diversity is 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 um, is a big thing in our business, and you see everything, but I don't see a lot of people that are always happy. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing I see about you. It's like every time I see you, it's like your smile is this big. I got three P's. <laughs> I have uh, patience. Persistence and positivity, and I try to just practice those. Um, Tom T. Hall's one of my favorite songwriters, and he actually wrote a book yeah. called. He actually wrote two books. Very ironically enough, he wrote a book called uh, Spring Hill, Tennessee, which is about uh, the Saturn plant in my hometown, which is super cosmic and strange. And then the second thing right. uh, he wrote, I believe, is called the Songwriter's Handbook. And in the last page of that book, he goes, "It's better." You're better off to be happy-go-lucky at the end of it all than to not. Yeah. And it's like, man, that's yeah. probably that's probably true, um, you know, yeah. which makes a lot of sense. And and, and then so I, I was around 16, 17 when I when I first read that, and then since then, all my heroes, literally all of them, that consistently have been able to meet, or they kind of have a like this. Um, they're probably not happy all the time. But you can tell that they make a conscious effort to try to stay on the sunny side of the street. Uh, no pun right. intended of the, of the yes. Um, You know what I mean? Uh, yourself as well. You know, yes. in all of our business dealings that we've had, you have you know, great communication. And you know, everyone who's ever worked with you, I've never heard anything back. And I think you know, that really goes oh, a long thanks, way man. in life. Yes. And, you know, a lot of people do forget that um, if you're in business – and you're selling a product or whatever, um, your product will go a long way only if you, the person behind it, stay true to your th yourself, be kind, be, you know, it's like, it just, it just, don't play games. And, 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 you know, so, and it's, it's really hard. I mean, I've, especially now, I mean, I've seen some, some stuff going on, on, um, on Facebook that, People are so oh, angry. No, yeah. And, and and I was like, dudes. I mean, you know, leave it aside. You know, just just be happy. The world will be fine. You know, it's okay to have differences, but don't don't break friendships. Don't hate. Don't it 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 just because tomorrow uh, we're gonna have something completely different that you're going to forget what happened a year ago and all of a sudden you're going to look like what happened to my friend 
Oh, I lost them because we had a little fight because of some ego. Over ego. You know, so. Oh, well, let's not yeah. go there. Oh, it's the one thing I yeah. hate. It's oh, ego. wow. Yeah, ego, for, so for 2020, it's, it's interesting. Whenever I talk to people, there's always like one meta abstract concept that people like distill that they say this year's been about. You know, some people are be like, well, you know, I got to spend more time with my family this year. It's like, well, that means a million right. things, right? That means you probably got in a fight with your family 17 times and that you guys developed right. a stronger relationship than you had. I think ego has been the thing 2020 has challenged me the most on, my ego, and just awareness. Yes. Um, so, man. Yes. I don't even get yes. on Facebook. Yes. I, don't, I get on Facebook once a week on Monday to set up my posts for the week and respond to my fans and everyone in the country club. Right. Um, yep. And I don't carouse. I don't. I don't peruse any of the uh, of, of the feed. It's just like. Yeah, I'm trying. Go ahead, go ahead. It's just you know I don't even want to see. I almost know that the people, the people that I know that are my friends that are posting on there, and I see them posting these things. Like I almost just know that it's not really them. Like if they, uh, they're being like yeah. they're almost like being tricked. Like they're being almost yes. like um, yeah. you know what I mean? In like a, the carrot dangling yes. in front of the face. Just press share. On that yes. on that clickbait, and it's like, man, I'll talk to you once once this whole thing's over, and then we'll we'll probably be right. Again. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to stay away from Facebook and and just trying to uh, um, stay on it for just for the business because yep. it's just it's draining. Yeah, just to see the the and the fights that people and I've seen I've seen some friends that been friends for yep. 20, 30 years. Yeah. Just breaking it up because they didn't like what this guy say about this, and it's like it's over. Oh, come on, you've known him for thirty years. All of a sudden, you yeah. Nah, eh. Well, let's do this. Let's let's play one more song um, from your. I guess it's your new album, right? Yeah, it came out August seventh. Uh, co-produced. Uh, no, actually, not sorry. Fully produced by Robin Ford. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. So yeah. I think the next song is going to be Ain't Living Long Like This. Correct, sir. Well, I put shovel and I found this sign Put down the This is very cool. I'm going to ask you something because I, I hear mainly on this album um, something about the tone. Are you a big uh, Wellen Jennings fan? Yeah, and I love a painter. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because, uh, you know, when we met a few years ago, um, you were very kind of like... Uh, um, 
true to the original sound of country guitar. I mean, you did oh, yeah. not have a lot of effects. I remember that. And when oh, yeah. I when I listened to this one, I was like, okay. He's going he's going interesting right now. <laughs> and I was like, I was kind of wondering, is there like a Whalen kind of influence a little bit? And Yeah, there is a Whalen influence. A Whalen is just um in terms of artists that played guitar always in the country world, Waylon had, aside from Jerry Reed, in the outlaw era, not in, like, but way before Brad Paisley, that is. Like, um, right. he was kind of like the guy that, that really had like this tone you could just hear from a million miles away, and you know it's Waylon. Right. And, right, um, right, right, right. That quality, I, I didn't know it at the time, but that was the thing that got me at 12 years old, which is you can take an instrument that anyone in the world can play, so you can somehow make it sound like one person. And uh, yeah. I keep discovering more and more that's the thing I'm really striving for as an artist. And so, man, Wayland is just the guy. And it's funny, like, you plug in the phaser pedal and people say Wayland. You might as well call it the Wayland pedal. It's like, man, yes, this guy is simply Isn't that crazy? Yeah. even more so than Eddie Van Halen. And it's yes. like, that's insane to me. You know, because, yeah. you know, what yeah. Eddie contributed to the world of guitar is exponentially larger than what Wayland is. But somehow right. still... That phaser tone is, is classified as Wayland, and I just love that. Right. And what caused yeah. the country is, is a, a blending of jam band world and country world. And um, so that phaser is, is kind of a really nice, um, um, uh, like a cohesive uh, tone, a tonal asset to bring those two together. Now, is that something that you kind of grew slowly or you always um, had it and you just like, well, I'm going to wait a little bit to establish myself and then I'm going to throw out all these crazy sounds? And I'm still rather simple when it comes to your signal chain. Like um, okay. I still use the same Fender Pro Reverb that I've been using for, uh, for about nine years. Um, right. You know, and so I, I really don't use a whole lot. I just use a compressor. I use a delay. I use two delays, two reverbs, a, um, a, a, a plus pedal by Game Changer Audio, which is a really yep. cool sustainer. And yep. then I use a phaser. And uh, right. if I need anything else that's a little strange, uh, I use an Eventide H9. And then I have okay. one overdrive pedal. And I very gotcha. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now, is uh, Telecaster was always your guitar, or is it something that you... Funny, yeah, man. My dad is um, my dad is from New Jersey, and so the whole the image of country music in New Jersey is way different than it is in Nashville, Tennessee, on a cultural level. And you right. know, growing up in the '80s and '90s, there, um, the players that he that developed that he developed his taste on never picked on the telly, uh, even though you know Jimmy Page played their way to heaven on the telly. Um, right. Whenever we would go to Guitar Center in my formative years. I would be like, Dad, what is that guitar? He's like, oh, that's a country guitar. You don't want to pick that up. It's <laughs> 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 so funny. And I still, I still bring that up to him today. So that first time I ever, excuse me, that I ever played on stage when I was 14, that was the first time I ever held a Telecaster. Okay. Um, I played the lead singer's Telecaster to play. And man, okay. I just fell in love with that guitar instantly my friend it was like when people when people like talk about they love at first sight that guitar is it um i okay. am a fan fanatic okay what about the seafoam green 
So the seafoam green concept kind of came in a weird abstract metaphorical way where I was trying to think like, what's the color that represents who I am? Okay. And um, so I was looking at the meaning of colors and yeah. um, I came down to white okay. and blue. Okay. And so I, I brought that information in, into like a, uh, into a software. I think it was like an Adobe something. And I just kind of took the color spectrum, and I, I ended up landing on the combination of, 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 of blue and white, which ends up being uh, a seafoam green. Um, okay. White being the presence, uh, the presence of all colors, and yep. blue being that kind of um, that sorrow, uh, mm-hmm. and being that that uh, the, yin, the, the kind of the yin and yang. Uh, the yin and yang. Stuff. Okay. Right. 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 And, um, I kind of love metaphorically what that stands for. And so, and okay. I, it's also just a beautiful color. It's kind of on everything I own now. Like it's, uh, it sure looks like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. You know, I think if we're just listening, I have like this Yeti seafoam green cup. If people just get me seafoam green, it's absurd. Pure I think yeah. I'm a soccer with how much seafoam green I have. Well, you know, uh, the last time that uh, you and I talked about maybe uh, uh, doing a pedal board for you, um, I, th- I remember you asked me, can you do a seafoam green? Because the only color I had back then was the, the vintage cream. You know, that was the only color I wanted to do. I didn't want to go crazy. Classy, and, uh, and I remember you said, can you do a seafoam green? And I was like, well, let me think about it, you know. And then... Uh, it was a few months later. Seymour uh, surprised me and said, "Hey, we're gonna go and see a concert. Um, you're gonna love it." I said, "Okay." And I didn't know who we were gonna see. It was in Indiana, <clears throat> and we're getting into the uh, into um, the auditorium, and the lights comes down, and Jeff Beck comes out. Oh. Oh, man. And and back then, uh, it was when Jeff uh, released his album, uh, Emotions and Commotions. I saw and, that tour as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember, although Jeff had his marshals in the background, do you know what he played through? Yeah. It was a Seafoam Green Pro Junior, the whole tour. Wow. Yes. And I was because I remember I was sitting on on you know we were kind of pretty close, and I'm looking on stage and I see the two marshals stack behind him, and the lights are off, they're not even on, and then on top of one of the marshals I see this little seafoam green amp with a microphone to it and I was like, oh my lord, so yeah so I was kind of like investigating it and and to find out that he recorded that album on a champ. Yeah. This entire album was recorded on a champ, which is yeah. even a smaller amplifier. So this is where the whole seafoam green kind of like, you know, kind of like hit me at that moment. And, and then you talked to me about it. And I was like, okay, let me try something. So anyway, ever since the, the colors of my pedal boards kind of like, widen a little bit and i do have a seafoam green and it's kind of waiting for you i love that my lord yeah it's waiting for you but we we, you know we're going to talk about it um uh in a later time and we do something that it's more catered towards you but um there was a video that you and i can't remember the other guy that you guys posted on uh either youtube or instagram which i loved it's the it's the kind of like the con the the fight between a tele and a strat 
Oh, Jude Smith, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man, I love this video. Yeah. That was great. It was just a beautiful video. Yeah, he does a fantastic job, man, at what he does. He edited yes. that whole yeah. thing. Yeah. And he lives in Nashville, too? He lives in Nashville, and he's um he's a producer, uh, kind of a DIY producer, not like a major gotcha. label, like um <clears throat> country music producer, but more in like this. Nashville is a really cool, like DIY pop scene, where it's yep. like um everyone you know, are cutting records on Logic Pro Ten, yes, and uh, using all the sock compressors, and it's really a cool scene, and um, yep. he's really big in that world. And I really participate in that world zero. Um, okay. So the only common ground that we have is the guitar. And so we had this idea of like, how can we take like a, a tried and true conflict that affects every yep. guitar player and make a funny piece of content out of it, kind of making fun of it. Um, yep. And so Kelly versus Strat is like, that's one for the ages. Every yes. guitar player worries about that at one point in their life. So. You know, it. it's, it, it, it's a, it was an amazing video, and uh, I will probably include a link of that one uh, on the that episode notes, uh, <laughs> alongside with you know all your information and all your stuff. Oh wow! But, I, I, but when I saw it, I was like, this is brilliant, and it's so well done. It was just fun watching it, you know. So great job on that. Thank you. Um, so when you so we talked about when you moved to Nashville and you start uh, um, uh, playing um, downtown Lower Broadway, uh, Dawn Band on Roberts. The Dawn Kelly Band. Yeah. So that whole thing happened in a way that was also very serendipitous and, and nice looking back. So the day that I sat in and with that aforementioned band on stage for the first time, I kind of had this. Um, you know, I had this great moment of clarity when I realized that this is something I can get better at. Right. I, I don't know why. Uh, I just felt it. And so I followed it. So the next day, after sitting on stage for the first time, my dad and I go downtown, and I have a shoebox now that says, Saving Up for a Telecaster, right. written on it. Right. Um, Converse shoebox, like five, seven and a half at the time. I was a small kid. And um, Saving Up for a Telecaster, and my mom wrote the sign for me. And um, we made five hundred and fifty some odd dollars that that day, okay. as opposed to the one day where we made you know zero dollars zero cents. Right, right, right. And I was just enough money to save up for a telecaster, right? Uh, to buy one. And so um, after we finished busking that day, again, my father and I are walking back to the parking garage, and there's a there's a, a rock, there's a place called Robert's Western World. Right. And um, I'd never really known about all this Western world. It wasn't like a, a, a to-do for me. And so I snuck in there somehow because it was past 6 p.m. And it, it, once the 6 p.m. hour hit, it's 21 and up. But somehow the door guy wasn't there. He was taking a break. And we, we uh, found our way in there. And right when we got in there, there was a band setting up. And the band was called the Don Kelly Band. Right. And uh, it was the first time I'd seen a guitar player that close performed for me. I'd never seen somebody, you know, 25 feet away, 30 feet away, like very close. Right. Um, performed for me. To an empty ball, like there was no one there. Right, right, right. Um, so it was, it was a really like a revelatory moment. Who was the and, guitar um, player uh, back then? It was a JD? JD, JD, yeah. That was my first hero. Okay. That was like my first uh, person that I really wanted to sound just like 
Right. And they, it just, man, they me cry. Like, it was just like, listening back to his tapes today, too, with my dad and I have so many. Um, I went and saw that man every weekend, every Saturday for about three years. And I gave Don my business card right. every week. Okay. And I told him, when JD's gone, I really want to play in your band. Like, I re- you know, I really want to get right. this gig. And uh, I got the gig That's after JD was, you know, surprised, yep. right? Yes. And ended up getting to play with Don close to 500 shows. Wow. That's uh, great. So these are four, these are four hour shows. Yes. Uh, you know a lot thousands of hours. Yeah, yes. You know, a lot of people don't realize that the Don Kelly band, um it's not just a bar band on Lower Broadway. No, Every single all. guitar player that yeah. played for Don Kelly is a big name. It goes from Brent Mason to Johnny Highland, Red Volkart, uh Guthrie uh Trap, uh Trap, uh JD, you so Yes. I think Luke McQuarrie, who's now who was in the band uh, Porter McClister, you know a lot of great players. Yeah. Yes, and you know, and not just the guitar player, the entire band was oh, so man. professional. Yeah. And oh. you can stand there for like three, four hours, and you never get bored, not even once. No, no, it was a perfectly crafted show, and people have a uh, rightfully so they have a great stigma on how a Broadway national band is because a lot of the bands down there, and I learned this after I stopped playing at Roberts and I had the, um, I met a lot of the managers that run and that run the bars and that book the acts down there. And they have different goals. Right. Rightfully so than Roberts has. Yeah. Roberts isn't, their main goal is not to try to clear seven figures. In right. Their main goal is to retain the spirit of what Roberts is. And um, that directly affects the product of yes. music. Um, I want lost a gig downtown because I wouldn't, I swear, Sage, uh, someone, they said, if you're not going to stand up on this bar and take your shirt off and play a, this Keith Urban guitar solo note for note with a wireless cable, then you're not playing in my bar. you got to be kidding me. And that was the moment, I swear. And so that was the moment I learned. It's like, man, I need to get off Broadway and start touring. Yes. And so what happened was I played it down at Roberts for years and I developed a strong sense of identity. And then I stopped playing in Don's band. Uh, there was a confusion in in a ma- in a matter that had happened with one of the employees down there, and I and I ended up getting let go. And we've all since then definitely cleared it up, and we're all on the same page, and we're all professionally uh, great friends. Right. Um. So I tried my hand at playing downtown a little bit longer, and it ended up being kind of a gross experience. I mean, I really wasn't being welcomed anywhere that wasn't Robert. Right. And rightfully so. Like you know so. I ended up and I started uh, touring with other bands and I got the opportunity to tour with, you know, bands like the Wild Feathers and artists like Paul Coffin and a bunch of indie bands as well. And that kind of showed me that I can probably do my own thing. Yeah. And that's when Cosmic Country started. And okay. so it all, everything that has happened had to happen. You know, I believe that. Even, even the yeah. bad thing, even if something really oh, yeah. bad happens to you, there's a reason why, you know. And, oh, and and it's and I believe that 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 whatever happens to you, if it's good or bad, it's yeah. kind of shapes yeah. you to the person you are, and and it's kind of okay. like another another step in life that you're like, okay, I've done that, you know. It's like, yeah, it was bad, but guess what? I'm through it. I'm done. I'm to the next chapter, you know. Yeah, 
I love that. Yeah. I really do. I think that's, that's a beautiful way to, to kind of go about it. Yeah, it is. So what was your first album that was like your solo? Like, it's okay, Daniel Donato, his own album is out. Can you tell us about that and a little bit? I had two EPs that I came out with. Um, but really, this album that we came out with on August 7th of this year is, is the first one. It's like um, the, the one? Yeah, it's the first, out, first full-length album. Um, we've got, so I, I have my Spotify pulled up here. I released two EPs in um, 2019. Okay. And then um, at the end of 2019, we recorded Young Man's Country, and that came out this year. So really, young, A Young Man's Country, which Robin Ford gave the name for, okay. uh, genius, is, uh, young man's is the country. first introduction to the world. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> Robin calls me young man whenever we talk. Yeah. <laughs> They're very humble. <laughs> and how, how did you uh, uh, get to meet Robin and start working with him? Robin cold calls. Okay. Um, you know, and a lot of people in Nashville are very, like, they think that it's their job to control their timeline. And I can see how you would think that because I still think this all the time. It's because you want things to happen at a rate that you think is right. But you don't really know what is right. Things are happening when they should, right? right? And you should just be present and react to what is happening du jour. Right. Um, so this is a perfect example of you should only work with people that want to work with you, yeah. not – try to pay people to work with you or convince people to get coffee with you at 9 a.m. Yes. Robin Cole called me. Wow. And he's like, I saw a video of yours. Um, I saw a video of you playing earlier this year at a sold-out show in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, or in Charlotte, North Carolina at the Evening News, which is like, uh, I think, 175 cap rates. And so it's like the perfect energy. If it's a sold-out room, you're tearing that place to pieces. Right. And um, he, he, got, he got to see the video. And um, he said, I really want to just take that set and go and cut it 100% live, just like I saw, huh. and just do it in the studio. Right. And I never thought of that. I never allowed myself to think that maybe I'm actually not an artist that is like, like a country artist where it's like everything's overdubbed and everything's cut separately and everything's isolated and... I'm probably more of a raw performer because that's really what my life has always been. I've always played on stage and I've always played in raucous honky tonks up until the early hours in the morning. Right. Um, and so Robin kind of showed me that possibility. It's like, you are enough uh, as you are. Just make sure that you capture that in a good environment sonically. And he, man, like, that's another mentor of mine that I just have legions of respect for. Yep. Um, you know, we and we also got to use his Dumble for the whole record. Okay. Um. So what what you're hearing is a vintage Fender amp most of the time, and then a Dumble uh, bled in. Okay. On the tone. Wow. So like we're talking about a, a, a guitar tone that is just yes, yes, yes. Uh, so. Yeah, we're we're gonna touch that in a second. You know, you're talking about uh, recording live in a studio. Um, yeah. I don't know how much of, um, of, um, a history person you, uh, you are, uh, but you know, this is how Buddy Holly, uh, used, oh, yeah. used to record back in the day, just like one drop microphone from the ceiling and the whole band would just kind of like right at each other. And that's how they record, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. sound amazing, you know, sounds great. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sounds great. Waylon Jennings too played in Buddy Holly's band. Um, you know, at that studio, 
when on the day I was born, April 6, 1995, in the same room that we cut this record in, Waylon Jennings was recording a song, Ain't Living Long Like This, with his son Shooter Jennings. Um, and, you know, Waylon only cut live. That was the thing. Everything wow. live. Wow. You know, country music is, country music's a weird thing. Uh, it's still cut live, largely. Um, and it, it is, it's treated in a modern sense to be contentious with, uh, with other, you know, because you got to compete with pop at scale yeah. for certain artists, like Luke Combs or whatever. Right. And, um, but it's still largely cut live. Like, yeah. it's a bunch of dudes in a room yes. cutting music. Yes. And I think that's beautiful, man. It is. Like, Nashville is, is uh, antiquated in certain ways. But that's the thing that Nashville does that no other city does. Yeah, and that's why um, you have the Nashville sound. You know, people don't know what they, you know, a lot of people don't know what it means, the Nashville sound. Well, that's part, that's part of it, you know. In Chad Atkins, yeah. Yes, yes. Let's, uh, let's play one more song. Um, and then uh, we're going to continue with our conversation. And the next song is uh, Broke Down. Come on. Yeah. Someone's at your door. That I'm broke down. Don't sleep and I'm up. All my words have a slight touch. Something's strange. The wind cuts cold and I shake. Right in on the wall, he's broke down. I'm falling down heavy like the rain. No sack on this rusty chain. It's the same. Talking about there's a solo at the end of it. Yeah, solo at the end. Yeah, so there's a whole outro section, you know, very much so inspired by the Grateful Dead and Sturgill Simpson and. Um, where we really just take it to it's more of a cosmic approach right right right, um, right. and this really just and and this is this is also when you have the dumble over here on the mix that was the dumble yeah that was so that um that's actually an interesting song where we bled in we automated the dumble in certain parts of the song more so than others okay uh so really cool really interesting and it was all robin's idea you know, he really had a great He hadn't really produced records before, aside from his own. Right. Um, and I was his first. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I just was, I, I was just honored that anything he wanted to try, I, I was absolutely for. Right. And it made it a hundred times stronger than it would have been without without him being in the room. And uh, is that over at uh, Robin uh, Studio in Nashville? Robin doesn't have a studio, but we recorded at a sound emporium room A. Okay, I got you. Lead. I got you. Okay, okay. That was great. And who uh, who are the players on the on the album? Um, the Cosmic Country Band. Okay. Okay. Nick Fry, uh, Jake Bostic, Daniel Pingray, and uh, no longer with us, but Will Johnson on drums. Okay. And um, he's still alive. <laughs> he's just no longer in the band. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, he's still alive. He's a phenomenal human. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. Uh, 
Yeah, well, the thing no longer with us this year has a whole different connotation. Well, I'm telling you, these days, you know, you don't know who's gonna, yeah. you know, you're gonna look at Facebook. It's like, well, that one gone, that one died. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, you know, it's like, just in the last two weeks, I think we lost okay. a lot of guys in in our community. You know, especially country music, they're just, yeah. they're just dropping. It's crazy to see. You know, it's yeah. wild. It's insane. It is. It is. So. um so you got Waylon Jennings was one of uh, the people you uh, influenced. So who uh, who was your major guitar um, influence? It was really the Don Kelly band. So it started out being J.B. Simo, and then Wikipedia led me to Brent Mason, and but Brent Mason led me to all the Dallas Jackson recordings, which led me to Johnny Highland, which led me to Danny Gatton, which led me to Roy Nichols, right. uh, which led me to Roy Buchanan, which led me to Hank Garland. Um, and Grady Martin, who played on all the Marty Robbins recordings like El Paso, and uh, Chet Atkins, and here we go. The two really big ones for me are Jerry Reed and Jerry Garcia. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then also, my generation of players, we all love John Mayer. You can't not love some John Mayer. <laughs> so I, I've always loved John Mayer. I love what he does, especially yeah. the born Sarah Ford. And Dead and Co., that's huge as well. Uh, but Jerry Garcia, Jerry Reed, Brett Nathan... Uh, Jamie Simo and just James Burton, all like the just the great Telecaster yeah, players. It, yeah, it so is you've done your homework, man. I have, you know, I'm very specialized in my understanding. Like you're catching me on a on a topic I just know a lot about. If we were talking about, I don't know, car engines, I'd be in. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, I got I got a friend that I call him if I need anything to do with my car because I'm pretty much dumb on that department, you know. It's good to be dumb. It's like it's it nice. is, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I mean that's why you got professionals in a profession, you know. Let them deal with that. Yeah. The thing about yeah. being dumb is that you are dumb whether you admit it or not. So you might as well admit it. You might as well go with the flow and say, I'm a moron on many things. And I think that kind of takes this nice weight off your shoulders and you can focus on what's my natural talent. Paul Coffin, an artist I play with, who's a great mentor of mine, calls it the bird dog trait. Uh, the bird dog is, you know, the dog that runs out and catches that prey and brings yep. it on back to the hunter. Yeah. And that's really big in Southern culture, you know, hunting. You know, a lot right, of people right. might not be for it. But um, that's the thing. Like, that dog is born knowing how to do that thing. And that's all it does. That's it. Like, it's not going yes. to hurt sheep like some other dogs. <laughs> right. So it's cool. It's like, I think yep. it's about finding that thing, your bird yep. dog trait, leaning into that so hard that you make something beautiful out of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're right. I got I got a friend over here in uh, in E Town. Um, mm. His name is Troy, and um, he he's my guy as far as my car. You know, we're talking about yeah. you know I have know nothing about engines. And I remember one day <laughs> I came by and I asked him, and he said, Sage, yeah, do you know anything about the car? I said, Yeah, start it, drive it, park it. <laughs> And it's like, well, what are you going to do if you get stuck somewhere? It's like, well, I'm going to call you. What do you think? I yeah. mean, like, you got your thing. It's like, I don't need to worry about it. I don't want my hands dirty. You know, no. you get them dirty. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's real. Yeah, it is. You know, um, so when you play either live or in the studio where we just heard from you, it's pretty much the same. How do you approach tone? Like, um, 
when you when you come to play a song, do you have something already in mind? This is what I want. These are the amps that I definitely need to have. These are the pedals I need to have. So so tell us about your process. I think so much is, is being done in the world of innovation right now. Like, um, like Tosin Abbasi is like a, a great example of, of a player that's really like coming up with these innovative tones. And I'm, I'm a guitar player that brings value to the more exploitative approach sonically. So I'm going to do things that are more evergreen and true from yesterday. Um, so having said that, I like to use, I like to use a limitation of tools. Um, I like to go into the studio of no more than three amps. Um, usually they're always Fender. They just have different breaking points. So, so I go with right. a Pro and then a Princeton for like a Vibrochamp. I have like one of Steve Rolls with Vibrochamp. Right. Um, I love that. And I try to always use a Telecaster. And I, I just try to set limitations for myself because I, I find that the ego can kind of get tempted in the ways of thinking that you need all these um, contemporaneous um sonic tools where it's like it's really just don't like right. Steve Ray Vaughan really made it happen with, with very little yeah um, yes you know so and so does Joe Von Amasa one of my absolute yes. heroes yes. Um, makes it happen with very very little right. and so if who you are as a guitar player is making it happen in a more exploitative traditional tone such as myself and Joe Von Amasa, then I'm going to lean into that I'm not going to try to like learn about act effects in about like ping pong, dotted eighth note delays. Right, and right, right. It's not really my thing. Um, I'm open-minded to it, and I know how to function with it sonically. Right. Um, my thing in Cosmic Country is like, it's very much just a, like a country guitar tone captured really well, which is like a little bit of extra sauce on it. And that yes. usually ends up being a phaser with like a, um, with a, with a delay and reverb that has some, some warble to it. Right. Um, I'm a big fan of tape delays, uh, digital uh, replications of tape delay. Right. So you can really get into the wow and the flutter. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of character to be had there on a subconscious level that makes the guitar feel old. Uh, I love that. And so <clears throat> that's a big deal for me. And um, getting the right Telecaster pickups are a big deal. And I think Seymour Duncan um, is kind of like the Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Right. Uh, I don't know yes. if you've seen that on Netflix. Yes. Um, Absolutely. And it's like, Seymour really like knows his thing. Yes. And uh, so in one of my, my main Telecaster, I actually have a, I have a one-off pair of Seymour Duncan handmade pickups right. that are never going to be back at home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Seymour made them himself. Um, that freaks me out to even say it out loud. Yep. Uh, you know what I mean? Like we're talking about the, the dude making a set of pickups uh, for me that is staying in my guitar until the day I die. Uh, so, and yeah. then I love the the, the pickups. Just just to give you a little bit of, and I don't know if you know that you you know who whispered to him that he should do it. Man, was that you? Well, I'm not gonna say. That's <laughs> well, then hey, I'm glad we captured it on the podcast. <laughs> yes, because I remember when when you and I met the first time, and it was before uh, you met Seymour with me at the Nam. I told him about you and, and I told him, I said, listen, Seymour, there's a young kid in, in Nashville and I think he's going to be something and he's such a great guy. Uh, we got to do something for him. So 
That's so kind. Thank you. I mean, so that's the thing is people <clears throat> all over the world daily, like on Instagram and other platforms, are like, they think the answer is in the pickups. And it, part, it partly is, but not the percentage that they think it is. You know? Right. And so I always say, man, it is, uh, it's a one of one of a kind set of pickups made by Steeler Duncan that hopefully one day we can, you know, we can replicate and try to bring them to, to a market. But man, there's something special about that one set of pickups that every engineer is like, my God, yeah. that is a tone. It's like, yeah. that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm going to have Seymour on the show in the next few weeks and um, just wait to hear some stories, man. Man, I can't wait. Yeah. I love Seymour. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, 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 I'm, I'm, I tell people I've known Seymour for 22 years. Okay? Wow. Yeah, that's, yeah, 22 years. I've never heard a story twice. Come on. Yes. And we, Seymour and I, we, you know, we talk. It's funny, his wife and my wife uh, telling us, you guys talk to each other more than you talk to us. But I've known him so many times and we speak, you know, we talk a lot and we help so many people around the world. And I'm telling you, I've never heard a story twice. Never. So I can't even wait to have him on the show and, and just talk about uh, everything from, from uh, we're talking about from the 60s. And it's like every major event. There's like great yeah. stories. I'm going to, I'll let you know when that show is going to be uh loaded because that's going to be fun that's going to be fun yeah my yeah, lord yeah, yeah. people know he's actually like at weird hours too like super early in the morning yeah uh like like collections of his arrowhead oh yeah. that's like man that is the coolest thing because yes. i wake up very early for someone uh at at 25 who's a musician a lot of there's the kind of this stigma where musicians wake up right early. And see what we text me sometimes at like four thirty in the morning. My yeah. God, that's insane. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but um, so so let me ask you um one more questions over here. So we talked about your gear. We talked about your choice of um, guitars and amps uh -huh. and, and all yeah. that. Um, when you write your music, yeah. do you? Is your process is the music first, and then I'm going to throw some lyrics on it. Are you collaborating with other people, or how is it? How's it working for you? Um, so in Nashville, it's a different thing where the the concept of collaboration is in the air. Um, just because of the proximity effect of being around some of the great players, right? So it's always music with the lyrics coming at the same time. And then those are captured in a more of an embryonic form. And so what you hear from my voice memo to what you can ask Alexa to play on your Amazon device, um, those are way different things. Um, but the, the initial idea is always there with it, like the initial music and the initial lyrics. Okay. And there's maybe like a 15% change uh, of improvement that, that goes on. Right. And so my biggest thing is, is if, um, for it to be a classic country song, it's got to tell a story like a country song does. Yep. But it's also got to be able to tell a story with my Telecaster. Uh, so it's got to kind of have a musical backbone that allows for exploration. Right. Because uh, everyone talks about country music being three chords in the truth, right? And that's what I, there's something in, there's three chords in the truth in the water here in yeah. Nashville. Yeah. And so that's all I've ever consumed. Those are my biggest influences are just writers. 
you know, like Willie Nelson right. and uh, Johnny Cash, Tom yes. Paul, um, people who knew know their chords and they know how to they know how to play, but they're not uh, they're not like Jerry Garcia, right? Right, right, right. And right. so I'm all about telling the story with the lyrics and the in the music, and I got to be able to tell a story with my guitar at the same time. Um, yep. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the reason I'm asking, uh, because you know, you got all types of of music, even even uh, guitar players that they do sing. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes they 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 have a different approach. For me, for instance, you know, I'm I'm not a singer, but for me, there's always melodies are in my head. You know, mm -hmm. and the first thing that I'm trying to do is to uh, put those melodies in my guitar. And mm -hmm. and from there I'm taking it, you know. Mm -hmm. So for me that's that for me that's my process. It's it's always it's the melody, and I'm completing the melody, completing the maybe the song, and am I gonna bring it to someone and said, hey, put some lyrics on it, um, and and of course you know I can I can tell them what my like you said what my what the idea is behind the, the song is like what my thoughts are, but. At least for me, it's just uh, it's the melody. But I was always um, I don't want to say jealous, but I was impressed with guitar players that they do sing and they also write their lyrics and they can tell the stories. To me, it's kind of like a complete package, you know. Man, I think Mark Knopfler is the guy yeah. where it's like, yeah, um, it's not even singing. Yep, it's no. just really all taste and style. Yeah, and. Um, you know, I think the like the what we when we say singing, it's not a really clear thing. That's why I think words are very strange things. Like, like uh, to sing, like what does that even mean? Like Mark Balfour is a singer, right? right. <laughs> not look really. at Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen, he's same not, thing. He's not singing. But I'll tell you, you know? if you were to put Mark Knopfler as a teenager today on TikTok, and you were to ask him to sing. Or like uh, on YouTube, they w it wouldn't be a viral sensation. No, but that's, no. that's what I'm saying. So like we uh, we take singers and we like try to group them all. And so when you're a guitar player, you get this ego thing where it's like, well, no, really, what you are is like a phenomenal guitar player, and that's where you right. think. Um, yeah. And you just kind of have you have to like evoke a tasteful and thoughtful noise from your mouth. But it's not really like you're an amazing singer, at right. least in my case and in Mark Knopfler's case, like. Um, yes. You know what I mean? It's like, I think that's not everyone's John Mayer. Not everyone has the life. No, no. And I think about can it. You well, yeah. Go, you go ahead. And well, yeah. if you ever, if you ever doubt that you're, that you don't have the Midas touch, then you don't have the Midas touch. Right. You got to stop. Right. Yourself. And I see yeah. a lot of players in Nashville that go to Bel that go to Berkeley, that they go to Belmont and they wear the same Japanese glasses that John Mayer wears, and they play the same strap that he wears. They try to sing like him, but they're not as good as him. And it's not because they're not because they haven't worked. They just they just don't have that minus touch. And they're what they're doing is they're comparing themselves to others. And Bill Gates had a phenomenal thing where when you compare yourself to others, you're innately doing yourself an injustice because you're not paying attention. You're not being aware to what your true assets are and what your true style is. We really need to be urgently leaning into your own style. Um, if there's anyone I could ever really thank, it would be Mark Knopfler for showing me yeah. that. Because that guy, you know. yeah. 
it's funny you mentioned it because you know Mark Knopfler is, is one of my heroes. I mean, I, he I was. You have all the albums out there behind you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got that. First um, album is the best. Like, yes, insane. you know, and it's funny because uh, when I was a kid, I actually started with David Gilmore. Oh, okay. You know? And then, and then, of course, one day I heard Mark Knopfler. It was to me, it was like, oh my god! And then yeah. these two, Gilmore and Knopfler, are always uh, being my heroes. But Mark Knopfler, for the longest time, yeah. uh, was the thing for me. And I remember, um, of course, when you're a kid, at least back then, you know. I mean, I hadn't. I don't know how is it today, but I'm talking about like 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to sound like Mark Knopfler. Yeah. I wanted to play like Mark Knopfler. I got to have the guitars like Mark Knopfler yeah. you know, and all that stuff. Well, in 1997, I uh, moved to uh, Los Angeles from, from Israel, okay? And I went to Musician Institute. And, uh, and of course, everybody over there was like, oh, yeah, there, there, there's that Mark Knopfler guy over here in school, blah, 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 blah. Sure. Well, one day sure. I met a producer... Um, in LA, his name is uh, Steve Barry Cohen, a really nice guy. Mm. And he asked me if I can lay some tracks for uh, an album he was recording, like with a singer. And 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 I did. And he said, "Well, you you're a big Mark Knopfler fan, right?" I said, "Yes." And I said, and he told me, and, "Man, I remember it, and this is the thing that changed me." And I'm so glad he told me that because otherwise I, I don't know what would happen. He said, have you ever thought of being a Sage Bernardo fan? And I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, there's already Mark Knopfler. There's already Eric Clapton. There's already, you know, la, la, la. We don't need another one of them. Yeah. Uh, they already done it. Yeah. We already know who they are. So if we want Mark Knopfler, we gonna call him. Yeah. And I said, and so I remember, and I was like, I don't know, I was like 27, 28. And I said, but man, but I love him. He got a great tone. He said, yes, you're right. He got a magnificent tone. I will call him if I want his tone on my album. Yeah. If you want, and he's talking to me, he said, if you want to be something, to be, and he said, and, and this is the one thing that changed me. He said, Sage, think. What is the thing that make Mark Knopfler for you shiver? And he said, and I told him, I said, man, when I hear his tone, when I hear his playing, this is it. And he said, well, don't you want people to feel the same about you? That like, oh, yeah, this is Sage Bernardo. Because you want people to recognize you. And then I was like, damn, he's right. Yeah. And and then I said, well, how do you take almost 18 years of being trying to be somebody and, and, and then eliminate it in one day? Mm. And, and and Danny, this is this is what he told me. It was hard, but I'm telling you, this is the thing that changed me. Right he on. said, You're gonna go home, you go home today. Every single picture you have of Mark Knopfler on the wall, you're going to take it off. Ah. Every CDs of Dire Straits and Mark Knopfler, you can still listen to them. Don't have them stand in front of you and look at it. And have nothing to do in your little room that has to do with Mark Knopfler. 
If you're going to continue doing this day after day, weeks after weeks, you will discover yourself. Yeah. And oh man, he was so right. And I am so glad that he told me that because I was trying for years to sound like Mark Knopfler. Yeah, we do. (laughs) And it was like, I mean, think about it. I was like 30 years old. And all I was trying to do is like Mark Knopfler. Mm, Okay, I see. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that comes down to a concept that I always tell my students. So I've given over 300 lessons since March. Wow. Because uh, you had to figure out a way to generate some income during COVID. Yes. And I realized that there's this thing where with your heroes, you come to memorize what they do, but then you need to understand what it is they're doing and then create something on your own. So yes. the process is memorizing, then understanding, which yes. is like integrating it into your into your blood, right? Yes. Um, yes. Into your operating system. And it sounds like that's what that producer um, enticed you to do, which you successfully did. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, you know, you, you, you were talking about Mark Knopfler and it just, just reminded me that uh, – okay. And wow. I'm so glad – I'm telling you, I'm so glad that I met this guy because I think if, if he never put it in my face, yeah, I would be probably – 50 years old trying to sound like Mark Knopfler. So the thing that fascinates me about Mark Knopfler is when, when we toured over in Europe last year, the aspect of Mark Knopfler is substantial as opposed to the U S right. Um, have you ever, is that ever something that you've ever thought about to you or in Israel? Um, like Mark Knopfler, it seems like in everywhere, but the U S he like really is like the biggest guy. Well, I'll tell you something about it. There's another artist that um, I, I love, and I don't know if you know him. Have you heard of Chris Rhea? Oh, come on. Absolutely. But that's no Mark Knopfler, though. There's, there's no... Diet. No, I know, but what I'm trying to say, Chris Rhea is huge in Europe, huge in Japan. Huge. This guy recorded uh, 20-something albums. Oh, my God. Sold, I, th- I think he sold uh, 30 or 40 million albums Nobody knows who he is in the U.S. None. <laughs> you know, so, so to your question, you know, living in Israel, we are closer to Europe geographically. Yep. yep. So most of the music that I grew up on yeah. came, of course, from Europe right. first and right. then the, the U.S. And, you know, the music that came to the U.S. Right. back in the 70s or even the 60s, you know, mm-hmm. uh, was Elvis Presley. And then it was traditional country, you know, like Kenny Rogers. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Kenny, Rod- Kenny Rogers was later on. It was uh, Johnny Cash, uh, yeah. uh, Charlie Rich and stuff like that. Oh, Charlie but Rich. A, yeah. yeah. But a lot of the stuff that and, – and remember, Israel is a very young country. It was formed in 1948. My so it's only God. 70 years old. So when I – I was born in 69, okay? So you're talking about the country is only 20 years old. So, and most of the Jews that came to Israel were from Europe, mm-hmm. Germany, Poland, and all that, all right. that stuff. So you got all that European. Yeah. Um, so anyway, most of the music that I listened to and grew up, and and I, you know, even today, I I talk to my wife sometimes. It's like, hey, have you ever that that band? And she's like, no. And I was like, man, they were huge. But I guess they were huge in Europe and, and nobody knows who they are over here. Like even disco, you know, during the disco time, 
Oh. We in Israel got a lot of the European disco uh, stuff. Mm. Stuff that you guys never heard over here. Like none at all. Um, but anyway, you know, that was, uh, that was the, the story about Mark Knopfler. I want to play another song, the, uh, the last one. Uh, and then I got one more question for you. And we're going to let you go. I, I don't know if it's too late for you. But I think the song called Forgotten Days. Yeah. Man, that's cool, man. That's yeah. some that's some guitar slinger over there. <laughs> that is that's that Nashville. Yeah. That is that Nashville. Yes, play. yes. So the last question for you will be: Do you have any hobbies, and what are they? Um, I recently got into horseback riding. Ooh. That's the only thing, and then I love spending time with my sisters on on the weekends. Okay. Um, I, I like reading. I like waking up very early and reading, okay. um, and getting like spending time myself before, um, before going on music or podcasting. And then I have the Lost Highway podcast, which is the, the official Cosmic Country podcast. Right I love on. doing that. Okay. And um, it's really a, I'm a very strange person now. I don't really have a lot of hobbies. Um, people have always tried to get me into hobbies or like prior ex girlfriends of mine. It's like I'm very boring. I really just love picking. Oh, my guitar's writing songs. <laughs> you know what? Don't worry about it because I, I don't think I have a lot of hobbies myself. You know, I mean, my hobbies is uh, listen to music. Isn't that crazy? You know, I'll go yep. on and turn on South Sound again, and I'll just – I'll find something new in that in that, in that that tone, and I'll, I'll just be bewildered by that for a couple of days. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, for years I was trying to – uh, you know, do some stuff as a hobby, and and just nothing really grabbed mm. me, other than I like to listen to music. music. You know, I like to listen to some good. Yeah, music. man, exercising is you know that's a great way to also to, to go about getting music in your life. Um, like sedentary right. listening, I don't really like sit down and listen to music. Um, it's either like um, driving or um, or exercising, which I I pretty much do every day. Um, and so I'm listening to music, you know, at least for 90 minutes a day. And lately, that's been a lot of Breaking right. Dead. It's a lot of Sturgis Simpson. It's a lot of older honky-tonk records. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. good. That's great. Well, man, um, I had fun. I don't know about you. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I love – I've been waiting my whole life for podcasts to become a, an art form. So. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it was such a great uh, talk, and, and we've learned – I've learned a lot about you. Um, and uh, I, I hope you stay safe. Thank you, my friend. And, uh, you know, stay who you are. Don't Thank change. You. Yeah, that's that's the key thing. You know, it's like uh, there's a lot of people I've met so many people in, in the business that they change as soon as they uh, reach their stardom and stuff like mm. that. And and I never like that. So right. Yeah. yeah. How however big you're going to be, stay who you are, yeah. because that's how you're going to be. Remember, you that's know? the realest thing, Paige. Yeah. Yes, it is. And I hope whenever this covid crazy is over um i'm definitely going to come down I'm, and and then we need to hang and and are just you in talk. kentucky is that where you're at yes i am in kentucky. kentucky uh elizabethtown oh so you're not very far no 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 i mean before covid i i used to come down to nashville at least uh maybe once a week or something yeah. like that no it's not that far it's I'm about thinking about, I'm thinking about moving out to kentucky sometime Oh, you're gonna love it. You yeah. know, I, I I left Nashville in 2006, and and I was I left it because I saw the change. I saw the change starting. Because yeah, I moved to Nashville. Yeah, I, I moved to Nashville in '03, and I always wanted to be there. And I'm starting to, in '06, it started to change to the point. I it's not Nashville that I remember, and. And I, I love it here in Kentucky. You know, it's like Elizabethtown. It's it's a small town. It's it's not far from Nashville. I'm only like 40 minutes from Louisville, which is a great city. That's where my father um, works. Yeah, Louisville. Oh, in Louisville? Yeah, he works for the water company. I love it. I love Louisville. Beautiful city. Oh. Yeah. There's a great Mediterranean a, restaurant there. Yeah. Louisville is great. And, yeah. you know, I don't know if you know. I mean, I don't know if you like restaurants, but but people don't know that Louisville a couple of years ago was the number one in private restaurants per capita in the United States. How random is that? What a weird fact. <sighs> yeah, I know. I know. So when this thing is over, you know, get to, do yourself a favor. Come and visit me over here in my studio. And I will. Yeah, I love that. And we'll chat and, and, and stay safe, my friend, okay? Thank you, my friend. You as well. And we'll talk soon. Talk to you later, Sage. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. So again, this is Sage Bernardo. I'm the owner of Bernardo Effects and the host of this podcast show. It's all about the tone. I really appreciate you guys. And uh, there are really fun, fun interviews coming in the coming weeks. So pay attention to uh, the new episode um, coming out on your uh, on your notifications. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, you want to subscribe because that's the only way you'll know uh, if new episodes are available. So thank you again and see you soon.